less than confident in how well my voice is going to hold out. So if I start to lose it, the sermon will just be over. Sound good? All kinds of prayer just began. Uh, uh, <coughs> it's a tug of war. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so we are uh, at, where'd my stool go? I, we're at the point in Judges where uh, Samson shows up. And Samson is, is undoubtedly the most famous of the judges. And um, as we kind of dive into this text, I, I, it's not that easy to, to talk about Samson well. And I, I was trying to think of a good analogy to talk about why it's difficult. And actually, I, I thought of um, way back when, like 100 years ago, uh, when I when I first started uh, uh, dating my wife, I had moved to Texas, and I, I remember we were driving on the highway toward Dallas, uh, coming out of Houston. It's you know, and there's a whole lot of nothing between cities in Texas, um, and and so we're uh, they need all that space to contain Texans' egos, um, <laughs> so we're we're driving up uh, up the highway, and my wife says, "Hey, the tallest point in the state of Texas is coming up." Um, and I thought, well, there'll be a mountain or at least a hill. Uh, and in reality, it is a statue. So the tallest point in the state of Texas is a statue of Sam Houston, right? And, and for those of y'all like we're coming. Yeah, it's between them. That's what I said. We're, it's not, it's, what is it? Anyway, that's what I remember her saying. So we. I, I, I firmly believe my wife remembers things wrong. Uh, so we're, we're driving by this statue. And I, I, I grew up on military bases, and I lived in Texas several times. And I took Texas history class in junior high. And, and I grew up, you know, in a family. We, you know, I've seen every Alamo movie. I know that John Wayne was there. Um, I, I, and I, I, I've read Texas history. I've read novels and history books. I mean, I love you know, I love history in general, but Sam Houston is, you know, a giant, right? And that actually is why it's the tallest point in the state of Texas. He, he, was, he was this man who helped guide the state into, you know, into becoming its own nation. He, you know, beat Santa Ana, like, against all odds, except that Santa Ana was really dumb, and that's mainly the reason he beat him. Um, and, and, like, so, so this, this giant of history, I see the statue, and I'm cheesy, so I get a little, like, you know, reverent. And my wife starts telling me about how he was a drunk and a bunch of other kind of negative things. And I, I got a little offended. I've never told her this, but I, I was thinking, why do you have to tear the guy down? You know, he was this, you know, great man. Like, he did these great things. And, like, like I, I've noticed, you know, there's this balance sometimes when it comes to, like, people in history, right? We have this desire sometimes to, to varnish folks and make them look good. You all know what I'm talking about? You know, where, where, where men who do things that we find inspiring, we want them to be um, sinless and perfect. And, and then there's the reality. And, and as we get into Samson, that is like the hard story of Samson, okay? Um, if you read the rabbis about Samson, he was a giant who walked on water, right? Samson was, you know, beyond a hero. He was a superhero, and he almost, like, fits that description when you start reading his exploits. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, fought armies by himself. He was, like, like he was a mountain of a man. You start digging into what Judges actually says, and that mountain gets a lot smaller really quickly. Does that make sense? Like, 
in reality, Samson is the judge who had the most amount of potential of all of the judges. And he was the one who was the least successful of all of the judges. And not only that, like he, he rebels against God a lot. And most of the great deliveries that he brings about are kind of because he gets mad at people over personal slights, so he attacks the enemy. Like he gets insulted and he says, all right, well, that's it. I'm killing all of you guys. And he happens to accomplish God's work on the way. But like, like he, he, he's, not, he's not the hero that he's often made out to be. Um, and I, I say this as we get into this because there's a principle here that, that's easily missed. Samson's greatness is God, Right? What made Samson, like, powerful was not his hair. It wasn't anything. It was God willingly acting through him. And actually, God having so much grace and being so loving and amazing that he would work through somebody, like, who was really imperfect. And so when we read about Samson, it's easy to celebrate the great works of this man of God. And in reality, like, what should come into focus is the reality that people are imperfect and we serve a great and amazing God who can work despite our imperfections. Are you all with me? And so, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to try and balance this. The first story of Samson, he's not even in the story. So as we jump into the text, um, the book of Judges, real quick, is the story of decline. The first judge was fantastic. The next one wasn't so good. And by the time you get to Samson, he's, kinda, he's kind of a train wreck. Um, in the middle, you have Deborah, who's the best of the judges, um, that's um, complicated. We're not getting into it today. Um, but so, like, the big idea is that the people of God in the Holy Land declined, and they morally fell apart, and they, the judges got less and less impressive, and God continued to act despite them. And, and so, like, like, with that in mind, that's how, like, we, we understand judges. That's how we understand Samson. He is the last judge, although there's a bunch of additional story that happens after him. He is the last one. Um, and the rest of it is people grabbing at power on their own and doing what they think is, is the right thing. Historical context, Samson was born during a time when the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Philistines. The Philistines are not native to Canaan, right? They had moved there from, like, the Mediterranean, and, like, they, they immigrated. And so the archaeology for um, the Philistines is, is weird. Um, there are some things we know. There are some things we don't know. But they are not like native they kind of they kind of invaded and like so the the philistines are oppressing the jewish people and they have been for a while like at the by the time samson kind of gets into his own um there are other judges at the time and the judges are letting the oppression happen because they're so busy grabbing at personal power and prestige that they're allowing like god's people to get beat up in in you know by by the enemy like they're indifferent and indifferent is kind of the, the theme of this part of the story. Um, there's a repeated pattern in the book. This is the last thing. I know it's a lot of background. Um, but Jewish writers love patterns, right? And they would write things in repetition or they would repeat, like, elements of stories. And so, like, this first part, there's a pattern that every judge story follows. And Samson, like, starting with the first one where it's, like, very solidly presented and then like as they go the the patterns start to degrade and it's part of the theme of the book is the degradation of god's people like into so the pattern degrades and in this one we're given a clear message up front um 
And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So we see that the people are doing evil. They are um, then oppressed um, as a response to their, like, rebellion. So, so this is what's happening. They are in rebellion against God. Um, there was a certain man named Zorah of the tribe of the Danites. Now, the Danites are going to come up over and over again. The Danites become kind of the whipping boy of the book. Um, they reflect the worst of the worst of the Jewish people, uh, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne any children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. To God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, real quick, the angel shows up and says, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to deliver your nation, right? Now, this is a rare occurrence in the Bible. It is really unusual for God to show up and tell someone, you're going to have a baby, and it's kind of a miracle, right? Like, we get three or four instances of this. Um, In this case, it's to deliver God's people, and there's a pattern here where we see... The people are up, do evil, they're oppressed, and in every other account, the people cry out to God and he delivers them, right? But that doesn't show up here. Um, what we begin to piece together as we go through the book is that the people had kind of gotten used to it. Like, they, they had accepted the fact that the Philistines were, you know, they're jerks and all, but I've got to put up with them, and they weren't crying out to God anymore. They were just sort of getting by in a, in a crummy situation. Like, they had reached a point where they didn't want anything better. They were okay with the miserable, right? And they sure as heck weren't going to call out to God for help. Um, this is the low point. Everybody with me? Like, this is the point where they, they have given up. And the degree to which they've given up becomes very clear as you dig into this, like, this particular account. It is, it is bad. Um, and we'll get into that as we get there. But, like, real quick, a couple other things in this portion of the text, this announcement um, the, the angel has to spell out the terms of the Nazarite agreement, right? Now, like, if you were a Jewish person, this is a Nazirite, Z-I-R, not Z-A-R. I, I listened to a guy lecture about why Christians shouldn't drink alcohol. Like, Jesus didn't drink alcohol. He was a Nazarite. Well, no, it's not spelled the same. It's not the same word. Everybody with me? Um, <laughs> The Nazarites were people who took vows where they said, I won't drink, I won't eat unclean, and I won't cut my hair, and I will be set apart for God. And Samson, from birth, was a Nazarite, right? How many of y'all, like, when you think of Samson, you think strong because he had long hair? Like, we don't ever think he didn't drink and he didn't eat unclean foods. Like, we don't think that. We think never cut his hair. In reality... The cutting the hair thing was the least important part of the Nazarite vow. And it was the only thing Samson managed to hold on to until the very end. This outward appearance, I am following the rules. Now, there's something to that, by the way, because there's a lot of times, like, religious folks, we fall into this. Where inside, we stop. Inside, we chase after things we want. Inside, we, we lust. Inside, we covet. Inside, we... We sin wickedly. Maybe behind closed doors we do all kinds of junk that nobody wants to see, right? Or we don't want anybody to see. 
Um, but outside, people see the good, right? I'm keeping my vows. I, I'm in church every Sunday. I say the right words. I, you know, talk bad about the guys who are supposed to be my enemies. In reality, like, um, when we do that, we're fooling ourselves, and we're trying to fool other people, but we're not fooling God. Um, Samson does not maintain these vows very well, and we'll kind of touch on every time he breaks them. Um, but, but this is the thing. He was not strong because of his long hair. He actually isn't even strong or mighty because of the vow. He's mighty because God set him apart for a purpose, right? The real message of Samson is Samson does great things because God did great things through him, not because Samson was a good guy. Um, but anyway, so the angel says, hey, um, you're, your son's going to follow these rules, and you need to follow them, which, by the way, is a hint that she's not following them. Jewish people were never supposed to eat unclean foods, but it's probably the case that they'd given up on those rules because she had to be told to stop. Everybody with me? Like, and so he's not coming to the holiest of people. This isn't Mary. This isn't, you know, like, like this Elizabeth. It's, it's folks who are more or less pagans, and we're going to find that out more and more as this story continues. But, like, like, She's not following God's laws, but she's in God's covenant, and God honors his covenant to these people. He says, well, you're going to have a baby, and, and he'll deliver your people, and it'll be awesome. So the angel leaves. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. Um, here's a funny thing. When an, a man of God, the word God in Hebrew, right? God has a specific name in Hebrew, right? And we're given his name in Hebrew. It's Yahweh, right? Sometimes you would see where God would be referred to as Jehovah. Or like he has several monikers that are attached to him that are, that are you know, like specifically associated with him. The word she uses here is um, the generic word for God in Hebrew, right? This is the big G or little g God. Everybody with me? It's not God's specific name. She basically comes to him and says, a, a man of a God showed up and talked to me. Um, and he was awesome. Like, he was impressive. Um, throughout the text, until the very end, they never refer to God as, like, formal name God. They only refer to him in the generic. So, like, it's the same word that could apply to, um, to Baal or, or to the sun god or what have you. Like, like they, they're not really sure which God is talking to them. Y- y'all with me? That's kind of depressing. Like right out of the gate, they're God's people and they don't know who he is. Um, but so he's very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Um, so then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite for God or to God from the womb. To the day of his death. Now she spells it out very clearly to her husband, who's kind of oafish and, and is about to kind of um, lose it. But um, she she doesn't know who he is, and she doesn't know where he came from, and she doesn't know his. I mean, like all of this stuff, like she didn't know anything about him, even though she should have. I mean, she encountered an angel. If I encounter an angel tomorrow, I'm going to guess he's probably from Jesus, right? You know, I might ask some questions to clarify. Actually, I'll probably just pee my pants and fall down. Um, but, like, in re- I mean, that's how most people responded to angels. You know, that's why they had to say, hey, don't be afraid. I'm here to, you know, I'm here to talk to you on God's behalf. But, like, so she, she doesn't know who he is. She's not, like, ideal at all. Um, she's, she's 
she's basically a pagan who meets an angel. <coughs> then Manoah prayed to the Lord, this is her husband, and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Now, real quick, he already knows what they're supposed to do, right? Like they got some pretty clear instructions. Um, what we figure out really quickly as we read this text is Manoah um, is kind of a small man who is jealous right out of the gate. He's like, wait a minute, an angel came to you? Why didn't an angel come to me? What about me? Why don't I get to be a part of this? And, and he, he begins to grab at authority out of the gate and tries to grab at recognition because he's not okay with what has happened. Um, he wants to be a part of it. He asks, oh, God, send your angel back so I can meet him and so we can find out what we're supposed to do. They already know what they're supposed to do. Like, um, they already know what's going on, but he wants more because he wants to see the angel. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again um, to the woman as she sat in the field. So God responds by sending the angel again, but doesn't come to him. Um, leaving him out in the cold again because God did what he meant to do the first time. Um, it's easy to look at this, by the way, and say, well, why would God do that? That's silly, right? I mean, like he already announced it. Why does he have to do it again? This is a crummier version of Gideon laying down the fleece. You all with me? Like Gideon asked, God says, well, Gideon, go out and fight the enemy. He's like, well, let me just make sure. I'm going to put this fleece out, this, this sheet, this blanket, and in the morning, if there's only dew on the blanket and nowhere else, then I'll believe you. And then he comes back the next day, and it happened. He's like, well, wait a minute. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. And if the fleece is dry and the grass is wet, then I'll believe you. And, like, I mean, I've, I've heard people preach that as a great way to approach God. Really, that's doubting God's message up front and saying, hey, hey, give me something else here. You know, this is um, – I've talked to a lot of folks who will say, I believe in God or I'll believe in God and I'll follow Jesus when he shows up and shows himself to me. That's what this is. And the, the husband, Manoah, he's, God, why don't you come on back? Why don't you tell me? Why don't you do this with me? You know, this is the laying down of the fleece, only he's demanding even more. And, but these are folks with very little faith. And so, like, this expectation isn't a big deal. So the angel comes but doesn't show up to Manoah, leaving him kind of out in the cold. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man, came to me the, other, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. Um, and Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? So he already knows, but he's trying to engage in dialogue, right? And what we're going to see happen here, now watch this, he's going to try and manipulate the angel. Like he's going to try and get the upper hand here, which is, which is weird. I mean, like, how do you approach an angel and say, hey, do what, do what I want now. Hey, play my game. Hey, recognize me. Um, <clears throat> and he said, I am. And Manoah said, now, when your words come true... What is to be the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? He already knows. <laughs> he's asking what he already knows. But he's asking because he wants to be the one who receives the message. He wants to be the special one, the, the, the you know, everybody pay attention to me, look how great I am. He is grasping it like God's attention. Um, and the angel of the Lord said, Of all this I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink be of strong wine or eat any unclean things. And 
that I commanded, uh, excuse me, all that I commanded her, let her observe. Now, the angel says, hey, I already told you. You need to hear this again, but I'll repeat it again. But he makes it a point to say to Manoah, I told your wife, because he's not letting Manoah stand in the light, right? He's not letting Manoah grab attention and be the guy who, like, like, look at me. Look how great I am. Look at God has picked me out to talk to. Um, and so the angel says, hey, I talked to her. My business was with her. This is what I told her to do. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? I'm sorry, did I skip a... I must have skipped a verse. Uh, Manoah asks the angel his name. I skipped one. I apologize. My texting is not very good. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took a young goat... Or, hold on. Um, what happens at this point is Manoah says, well, hey, what's your name? Tell me your name. Tell me who you are. In the ancient world, there are two things that are going to come out here that are sort of cultural. In the ancient world, if you knew a god's name, all right, like pagans believed, if you knew a god's name, you could control them, right? Like you could exert a degree of control over a god by knowing their name. Which, by the way, that means when Moses encountered God and Moses said, hey, who do I say is sending me? And God says, I am who I am. Like this is a huge thing. Like pagans would read that and they'd be like, wow, God told him his name? And we should take that Moses fella seriously. In this case, Manoah says, well, what's your name? And the guy's like, I'm not telling you my name. But the guy is trying to control the angel. Say, hey, why don't you fall into my trap so I can, so I can exert some control here? Why don't you let me be in charge of you, angel? Um, and the angel says, I'm not giving it to you. You see who I am. You see that I'm like who I say I am. Um, that's all you get. So Manoah took the young goat to, um, and the grain offering. Or I skipped a whole chunk. Um, and I can't fix it that easy, so I'll have to go to the... Sorry. Um, slides. I need to start proofreading my slides. Um, oh, look, I had a string there. Uh, all, right. all right, so the Manoa prayed... Um, Fifteen. Then Manoah said to the angel, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel said, if, if you detain me, um, the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering and then offer it to the Lord for Manoah, or excuse me, if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel, what is your name so that... Uh, when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it on a rock to the Lord, to the one whose works, who, the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. Now, real quick, what just happened here is, so he asked the name. The angel says, No, I'm not telling you my name. You're not going to control me. The other thing that ancient pagans believe is, believed was if you could get a god to come to your house and you could feed them and show them hospitality then they owed you right i mean like we're not that far off from that i know folks who will say well i prayed to god and he didn't do what i wanted so i'm not following him or like i talk about it every week i'm sure people are sick of it but i know folks who believe i give my money in the offering plate i'm going to heaven um like i've met people who will say that well i paid my dues i'm in um, in reality, like, like you can't manipulate God that way, but this is what Manoah is trying to do. He's saying, hey, I'll feed you, and then you'll owe me a favor. 
I mean, like, it's not as though his wife's having a baby after they've had no children. And it's like the greatest shame of that culture. It's not as though, like, he's been told, hey, your child's going to be a great man who's going to deliver the nation. It's not as though God hasn't given him anything so far. But he's like, hey, let me control you. Let me see what else I can get out of you. What's in it for me? Um, and so Manoah, like, trying to manipulate the angel. And the angel says, nope, I ain't your food. You offer it up. And so he offers it in the name of the God who works wonders. Um, Again, Lord here means master. It is not the proper term for Lord. It is a, like a slave would repeat to, like an owner. It is not, um, it's not a big deal. He, like, isn't honoring God specifically. And, in fact, he doesn't know who God is. And so he says, oh, well, uh, yeah, we're going to offer this to the God who does miracles. Like, because <laughs> he doesn't know God. Like, he's so out in the dark. And he throws out this offering. He's only sort of taking it seriously at this point, but then God decides to get his attention. And then the angel, or excuse me, um, and then the flame went up toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. So like they, he lights his offering on fire and not only does it catch fire, but like the fire goes all the way up into the sky and the angel is flown up into heaven with it. And they're like, whoa, that was serious. This wasn't just some guy who showed up. That was, like, real. And suddenly they start hearkening back to things they've heard, like how Gideon, like Gideon had a very similar experience, only Gideon didn't try to, like, manipulate the angel. Um, and they realize, oh, my gosh, this is, like, not just any of the gods. This is Yahweh. This is, like, the God. Um, and they fell on the ground. So they, like, fell down, and they, they realized, oh, man, we're in trouble. Um, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them no more, uh, appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that the angel of the, that, that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die for we have seen God. Like only now does he hits this point where he's like, oh my gosh, we saw God. We're going to die. We are in trouble. This is a problem. And his wife responds. Um, But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in our hands or shown us these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Maneadan between Zorah and Estel. Okay, so a couple things happen here and we'll we'll cover them real quick. The husband says, oh, man, we're going to die. Gideon says the same thing, but God in Gideon's account says, no, you're not going to die. Like, why would I kill you? I just sent you out to fight the enemy. Like, I just picked you. Why would I kill you? Um, God doesn't even talk to Manoah, right? Like, the wife talks to him. Because Manoah is, like, such a, a dud, right? Like, he is so far out in left field that he doesn't even get God's assurance. Like, the wife is like, what's wrong with you? Like, we just were told we're having a son for God's work. Like, why would he kill us now? Like, what is your problem? Like, I mean, he just doesn't get it. Um, so they have this baby, and not only do they not get it, they figured out that it is Yahweh that's given them this child, and they name him Samson. Anybody know what Samson means? Oh. It means son, right? Like, S-U-N. It is actually the Jewish word for son, which is also the Canaanite word for the sun god. Um, and so they named their child after the sun god, and then, like, the, the latter part of the name means little. And so, like, little son or sunny boy, if you want to be funny. Um, 
but they basically named him Little Pagan God. Now, in Jewish naming, this is weird. Like, Samson's an oddball name. Samson is an oddball name because most people, like, would name their children Our God Saves, like, or Yahweh Saves, or Jehovah is my provider, or something like that. They name their child after the sun god after Yahweh gave them a son. Like, (laughs) they're so dense and so dumb and so unaware of who God is, and God is still doing things for them. He is still working for them. Now, it's easy to stand back and do the, the Sam Houston thing, right? Oh, they were pagans. You know, these guys were dumb. They were faithless. Manoah was beyond that. He tried to manipulate God. He tried to win out in God's, like, already blessing him. It's easy to stand in that spot. And honestly, as I was researching this, that was my inclination. And a lot of the commentaries do this. But what's cool about this is a note of reassurance. I don't know about y'all. I have a gift for screwing up. Anyone else? Like, you give me a straight line to get somewhere, I'll get lost on the way. You give me a simple set of instructions, I will figure out a way to, like, mess them up beyond messing them up. If there's a right and wrong, I'm going to find a special way to do the wrong. Because I, like all of you, are affected by a sin nature, right? Like, all of us are... We're broken. We're fallen. We're separated from God. We seek after our own way. Our natural inclination is to be enemies of God. But, like Romans says, right? Like, even when we were God's enemies, even when we were spiritually deaf and dumb, even when we were lost as lost can be, God sent his son for us. We don't save ourselves. We don't act good enough to go to heaven. We don't behave well enough. We don't, like, happen to be awesome enough or good-looking enough or or well-spoken enough, or strong enough, or whatever. Like, we don't do any of that. God saves us because God loves us. Because God loves us to a degree that is beyond words. And so he will take faithless, hopeless, broken vessels, and he'll fill them with his Holy Spirit, and he pour the blood of Christ on them. Like, what makes us right before God isn't our good works. It's Jesus dying for you. It's Jesus taking your sin on himself. God is so good that his goodness overrides our badness. In the case of Manoah and his wife, God works despite them. In the case of Samson, God works despite him. Um, We serve an awesome God who will take screw-ups and do great things. Not because screw-ups are great, not because, like, you know, the underdog is always the hero, but because our God is that impressive. Our God is that awesome. Our God is that loving and caring and amazing like, so the first thing, if we're going to draw anything out of this, like, that's the first one, the, the, the big, big one. Um, if you encounter folks who tell you that they are spiritual giants on their own, like, turn around and go the other way, right? There's a couple other things here. These are people who are soaking in apathy. You all know what apathy is? I don't really care if you know or not. That was funny. <laughs> it, <laughs> um. They don't care. They, an angel shows up and they're like, well, it's an angel. He's probably from one of the gods. That's cool. <laughs> We're delivering people like, like in God's behalf. Well, I, I wonder which one it is. You know, or they approach him and say, well, what can I get out of you? Apathy is super easy to fall into, right? Um, and it's something we have to watch for. Um, what Jesus desires of us, what God desires of us in Christ, isn't that we like, grow long hair and kill bad guys. 
It's not that we save the world. It's not that we build monuments. It's not any of that stuff. God desires us to wholeheartedly love him. God desires us to wholeheartedly pursue him. Um, I will never do great things on my own, but God can do great things through me if I'm willing to submit and allow him to work. And those things may not look great to me, but in God's economy, like, God's work is always important. You all with me? Um, Small country churches are as important as megachurches. Ultimately, it's all God's deal. We are all God's people. Um, And we don't grab for better spots, and we don't grab for more. We don't grab for anything except for more of Jesus. Um, And apathy is stepping away from that and desiring Jesus above all else, right? Um, If you find yourself in a place of apathy, my encouragement to you is to back up and chase after him. Like, there's nothing better you can do in life. Like, if, if God falls forth on the rung, and it's easy to figure that out, like, you can, you can look and tell, or you can ask. Or if, like, following Jesus is an irritation, or if dealing with, with anything God calls us to do is a source of annoyance or inconvenience, like, these are signs of apathy. We need to look for that stuff and not chase after, I will do the rules better, I will work harder, I will read my Bible more. It is, I will love Jesus more, and I will know him better and I will invest and fill myself up with that because that's what makes, that's what makes everything good. Like, that's what makes us worthwhile. Um, <clears throat> they lack spiritual discernment. Like, they, they have this blindness to them. Um, and they are super blind, right? Like, kind of my next, what do we bring out of this? This is a byproduct of, like, not pursuing. This is a byproduct of apathy, right? I, uh, I've seen God do great things, um, in my life. Like I've been very blessed to have the opportunity to witness God doing cool, awesome things. And I've, I've heard folks look at them and say, well, that's not a big deal. Or, oh, well, why does that matter? Or, or what have you. I, uh, I had a kid, uh, I met when I was at the children's home, he was violent and crazy and hated God, hated God more than anybody had ever met. Right. Like hated God so much. We had these Mennonite folks that are like almost Amish, but they drove cars. They would come and visit the children's home, and they made it their mission to befriend this kid. And he would spit when they would approach him, so they'd stay away. They brought him, I remember they brought him a tub of Amish peanut butter. You all know what that is? It's like a heart attack and diabetes in a bowl. Like, (laughs) this is a kid with no family. Nobody brings him anything. And they gave him this, and he didn't know what to do. He cried and ran away. Like, (laughs) like just, he, he had no idea how to deal with God. He hated me when he met me, and that's not that unusual. But, but because, because he hated God, and I was, like, the person who talked on God's behalf. Um, eventually, like, that kid met Jesus, and he, he, he was the least likely candidate to encounter Jesus. Heartbroken, new man, the whole nine yards. Um, I baptized him in the lake the last day he was at the children's home. It was snowing that day, and he insisted it had to happen in the lake. And it was, like, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I would, you know, relive that moment forever and ever, except for the cold. Um, and I remember hearing someone say, well, look, the agency did great things by him. Our, our, our team of counselors and, and staff like, did great work with him. Ultimately, God did great work, but we can miss the miracle when we are looking at things from like sort of a dull perspective. Like ultimately, that kid, he was going to live, he was going to end up in state hospital. They had him tracked for state hospital, and he ended up like going into independent living and preparing to become his own man. Um, because God did things in him. God changed him. Like, after that, he stopped being violent. 
he stopped running away. He stopped pushing people away. He changed. Actually, he lived in the same room for four years. He met Jesus, and within six months, he was ready to leave. Like That's a miracle. But we don't see miracles sometimes because we become blind to God's work. And we become blind to God's work when our own things get in the way. Um, God won't share. I mean, he's funny that way, right? But I guess that makes sense. Like, I love my wife. I wouldn't share my wife with anyone. I, I get jealous when too many, you know, when I don't get enough time with her, right? Like, come spend time with me. The kids are all right. You know, they know how to feed themselves now. Um, God is the same way. He looks at us and he is jealous of us. He will not share. He will not, like, allow us to belong to multiples. He is, he is holy and set apart. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on is the attitude we approach God with. Um, and this is huge. Manoah, like, sort of embodies the wrong way to approach God. The what's-in-it-for-me perspective, right? How do I get what I want out of you, God? Like, is there any way I can cash in on this? Ultimately, like, what God gives us is Christ. That's um, beyond just, hey, I'll go to heaven one day. We are, like, unified with Christ. Like, he becomes a part of us. We know him more intimately. We become what we are made to be. That is the whole goal of the Christian life. The whole goal of our existence is to be in intimate communion with God, um, which I forgot to do is communion Sunday. Um, And so, like, like, the attitude we approach him with it needs to be, how do I fill myself up with Jesus, not how do I get what I want out of this? Um, as, we, as we take the elements today, this is communion Sunday, we're going to call my guys forward with the plates. Um, and, and as we take the elements today, what I want you to do, I want you to like reflect and look and ask, am I filling myself up with Jesus? Like, Am I pursuing Christ in, in my life? Like, Am I becoming who God made me to be? Or have I grown apathetic? Like, do I rely on my own strength and my own awesomeness, or am I, like, filling myself up with Christ? And if you can identify spots where this is broken, repent of it. 